Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. It's good to be in church today. I am excited. Um, I am really far behind on a New Year's resolution that I started uh, because I really want to not shovel the rest of 2023. That was, that was my resolution. And um, I can tell you truthfully um, that there was a point in which I questioned many of my life choices when on Wednesday I was trying to shovel the path that you walked into. If, you, if you're on your way out today, if you notice it's oblong, um, there's a reason for that. Because about 10 minutes into my shoveling, I was just ready to get done with the snow. I was just, you know, trying to get as much as I could because I was sick and tired of it. And I went down and I tried to get a good scoop of snow. And I bent the whole handle of the shovel. So it's like 90 degrees now. So if the, if the path looks terrible, that's why. And if you're wondering what this has to do with my message, literally nothing. Absolutely nothing. But I just had to ex- experience and share with you guys that it's been snowing a lot. And I'm sick and tired of it. So if you're sick and tired with it, look, the Lord still loves you, all right? So it's all good. But let me just catch you up. If you were not here on New Year's Day, we had church on New Year's Day, yes, sir, last week. And it was a unique experience because it's like, oh, man, it's too early for church. And it was this whole thing. But I started a brand new series last week called Guess Who? Uh, and like from the game, Guess Who? And we talked about a lot of like the, the nostalgic board games that I grew up with. We talked about... Candyland. We talked about Battleship. We talked about Hungry Hungry Hippos, a great game. Hi-Ho Cherry Shoots and Ladders. But every once in a while, I go home and I realize, man, I miss something. And a lot of times, it's like deep. Uh, but this time, it was like, I missed some great games from this last Sunday. I missed Operation with the like, little tweezers. and zzz, You know, that was super fun. Um, parents, Twister. You guys are like, I, I shouldn't say anything about Twister. Ugh. Perfection. Anyone know perfection? When we have to, like, you got a little timer, you have to try and fit all the pieces in perfectly. And then a game that has entered the mom household in the last 10 days that Ellis has loved is Connect Four. Great, great game. Uh, and so we, we, we kind of looked at all these different games, and, and we looked at the nostalgia piece of it and the fun part of it, but where we went from guess who is I had shared how this was like one of my favorite games growing up. It was just something that every kid raced to in the elementary preschool room. Uh, but when you look back at, at guess who and the whole purpose of the game, I realized that there's actually like some kind of good implications from this game because to play this game, you're trying to guess who the other person is. Great, great name for a game, huh? Like, very original. But you're truly trying to get to the bottom of who this person is. So what are their facial features? What are they wearing? Are they wearing glasses or not? And you begin to kind of narrow down the character of the opposing person by figuring out all the things that they're not. And it just fits so well into what I really believe that God was kind of leading me into as we go into a new year about this idea of, who we are, our identity, and taking an in-depth look into it. What makes us up? What makes us tick? What defines us? What drives us? What are those things that just dismantle and discourage us? What are those things that just make your blood boil with anger and frustration and passion? And what are the things that make you just leap for joy, that you're just excited about? You roll out of bed and you can't wait to engage in them. What are the little quirks that only those who know you really 
really well can it pick out in you? And what are the things that are pillars or boulders of your life and everything in between? What makes up your identity? And that's what I really believe God was kind of leading me into as we start a brand new year here at our church. Is like, let's talk about identity. Because your identity, who you are and how you perceive yourself, I often believe is the driving factor behind everything that you do or don't do. It all comes right back to how you perceive yourself. And we know this to be true because there are times you do things, you lash out, you do things that you're not proud of that you go, why did I do that? Like, that's not my heart. That's not what I want to do. Yet stuff just bubbles up, right? Frustration. That person said that one thing that just absolutely royally ticked you off and you just lash back out and you go, why did I do that? And then if you spin it in the other direction, all of a sudden you can sometimes surprise yourself with, huh, I didn't know I had that in me. That's pretty cool, right? Like all of these things that happen in our lives, they really come back to identity. And I shared with our church last Sunday that preaching about identity to a group of adults is kind of a scary thing sometimes because with youth, it's a slam dunk, right? Like that, that is their whole life. They're figuring out who am I? What's going to become of my life? It's, it's a really hot button for them. But when you're talking to a group of adults, some of you have been in your career or your field of your, of your career for longer than I've been alive, right? Like some of you have lived way more life than I have, so it can feel a little daunting to talk about how it's important to know who you are when you go, dude, I've been, I've been knowing who I am for the last 65 or 70 years. And so that can be a little intimidating. At the same time, as I just prayed that through and, and, and thought it through, here's why I really stayed the course and why I stayed on this idea of identity. Because what we looked into last week is if you look into Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is 30 years old. He's been on the earth for 30 years. He knows who he is. He knows he's the son of God. He knows all this good stuff. But before he jumped into the next three years of what they call his ministry, where he'd walk around and pray with people, heal people, tell them about him, before he jumped into those three years, he gets baptized. And as he gets baptized, the heavens open and God says, this is my son with whom I love and I am well pleased. They talk about his identity, who he is. But then when you flip the page and you look into Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is by himself for 40 days. He's being tempted by Satan. He's being tempted through all of these different things. And the thing that Satan comes at him time and time again is his identity. If you're really the son of God, then do this. He's trying to get away from Jesus's identity, which tells me something, that our identity, who we are, and how we perceive ourselves is of the utmost importance. It's critical. It's critical. Because if you don't know who you are, if you don't know the core of your identity, you will never live the way you intend to live. So let's talk about it, right? I wanted, I wanted to share that because I know for some of us, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, here we go, identity. I know who I am, man. But here's what I would encourage you and challenge you, and I thought the same thing. Until God just began to speak to me like, hey, you're living under one identity. That's not who you truly are. You're living as if you're this, but actually you're a little bit more like this. And it changed the way I saw things. It changed the way I interacted with people. It changed the way I viewed myself. So let's talk about identity. We're going to go all the way back. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 
1, they call this the creation story. If you grab a Bible, any Bible, and you open up the first page, you look past table of contents, you will see Genesis chapter 1 as the very first chapter of the Bible. And when you open and you read through that chapter, you'll find that God begins to create things. It says, in the beginning, there was God, and there was all these different things. In the beginning, it's over and over in this, in this chapter, but what happened is for five days, and we can get into a theological thing of whether those were five 24-hour days or so on and so forth, different, different conversation, different day, but for five days, God begins to create things very intentionally, very strategically. He starts out with the sun and light and darkness, and then it was like water above and water below, and then he began to create land and seed, and he began to create plants, then he began to create animals, and all these things go on, so on and so forth. And so for five days, he's creating all this stuff very strategically, very intricate. And at the end of every day, after his creation, he creates the sun, creates the moon and the stars, and then it says the day was over, and God looks at his creation and goes, it's good. It's good. Then the next day, he creates more. He gets all done, and he goes, it's good. But on the sixth day, he saved the best for last. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. According to what we believe in the Christian belief, this is the start of mankind. You have the you have this scientific, you have evolution, you have the Big Bang, you have all these different theories, but I would love to have a discussion about that sometime because I'm a science nerd, and so I can I can kind of empathize where you're coming from on that. But here's what I would also say. According to what we're talking about for these purposes, I believe that God very intricately created us. On this sixth day. And the cool part about this is we there's some very strategic language in what he says here. So let me unpack this. This is such a cool picture because for the last five days, God's been busy. He's been creating all these really good things and he says they're good. But what's really interesting is that he says, let's create mankind in our image. You go back and read it. That's the first time he says that. He created everything else. All the animals, everything you and I are going to see on our way home, he created. But when he looked at humans, he said, let's create them in our image. Our meaning plural. That means God the Father. It means Jesus Christ the Son. And it means God the Holy Spirit. Because they're all there. When he says our, it's indicating that they are all there. And so here's what I think is, is most significant. If I'm losing you here, trust me, I, we're not going to just go, go super, super deep here. But I want you to see something that is very, very applicable to your life. Something that is very, very, maybe deep in theology, but something very, very practical when you walk out these doors. And it's right here in our scripture. Because God wanted to create humans in his image, our image, the three together. And here's why. Because you have God the Father, who is the master of right and wrong. He's, he is the judge. He, he's, got, he's really good at justice and all of these things. And he wants us to possess that moral consciousness, that, that ability to have a conscience and to know what's right or wrong. 
He wants us to be molded like Jesus, the Son, who is God in the flesh, who had a body like you and I have a body, but also at the same time has sacrificial love and cares about people and loves people really, really well. He wants us to possess the likeness of the Holy Spirit who's got the presence of God living inside of us. He wants us to have all of it. This is not for the cheetahs. This is not for the lions. This is not for the fish. This is for the humans. Special. A little special treatment for the humans. And here's why. Because he wants us to have connection with him. If you look into the ins and the outs, is we're going to go to chapter 2 in a second, but when you look into chapter 2, it says he created mankind so that they could work the land, so that they could manage all of the things that he created, which is great. But you can do that without the likeness of God. Here's what I want to show you here. Flip the page, chapter 2. Kind of takes the, what we just talked about on a more in-depth look. Chapter 1 was the trailer of a movie, right? Like you watch the trailer, like, oh, that movie looks awesome. You kind of get a little glimpse into the ins and the outs of what the plot's going to look like. But chapter 2 is like the actual movie, like how it actually happened. So chapter 2, we read this. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth. No plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. There was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth, watered the whole surface of the ground. Everything's being created. And then verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. These probably aren't things you're thinking about when you're driving down the road. These probably aren't things when you're a rushing kid from practice to practice, game to game. You're not thinking, hmm, where did I come from? Maybe you're not thinking about this, this really deep stuff when you're swamped at work and your boss is pestering you for that deadline and you're trying to just keep your head above water and you're going. You're probably not thinking about this when you're sitting back on the couch watching the most hated football team in the world wax your Minnesota Vikings. Relishing it, Packers. I know I've been giving you the beans all year long, and you finally got your revenge, but all I'm saying is one team's already in the playoffs, so. We serve a just God. No, but here's, here's what I would say. These things are deep, and these things are, are maybe beyond what we typically think about. But as I really felt like God was kind of directing and steering me in direction, this passage really stuck out to me. Because it says God took a pile of dust and breathed into him, and he was a living being. Now, the science part of me is trying to figure out how that works. I'm seeing like sawdust and everything. It just looks weird. But I believe God's word is true. And I've seen it be true over and over and over again. I don't know what it looked like exactly, but here's what I do know. I know that dust symbolically throughout scripture, when they talk about the word dust, it's always a symbol for next to nothing. Like dust is physically something, it's matter, it's got atoms in it, 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 you can physically touch dust. But in terms of value, it's zilch. It's got no value, none. It is next to nothing to nothing. As a matter of fact, when you look at Jesus in the, in the New Testament, he talks about, hey, if that community doesn't like 
respect you super well when he's telling his disciples to go out. He goes, take your sandals and scrub the dust off of them. As like, that's like literally the smallest part of that town left. Scrub the dust off of your sandals to kind of say, I'm, I'm moving on. Jesus himself used this analogy of dust even in the New Testament. So dust has little, little, little next to no value. So God takes this pile of dust and then it says he breathes into it. He breathes his life into it. The Hebrew word is ruach. I've mentioned that before when we talk about the Holy Spirit. It's the same word. That's the cool part. When it says God breathed, that word breath is ruach, which is also the same word used for the Holy Spirit. So when he breathed the Holy Spirit into this pile of dust, we became living beings. And so it's one of those things where we have to understand everybody that God sees enough value in us where he will instill the most important thing he has inside of us. He literally breathed his life into a pile of dust to create us because he sees that much value in us. And I've got to be honest, when I read this this week and I really studied it, at first I was like a little taken back. Like I was like, okay, like you mean to tell me, God, that without you, I am just a meaningless pile of ashes. Like, if you take me out of, of the equation, all I am resolved to is just a pile of meaningless dirt. And I've got to tell you, like, there's a part of me that goes, oh, that's a, that, that's a, that's a huge significance. Like, I don't, so, so that means, that means that if I don't have God in my life, that my life literally means nothing. Just a pile of dust. And like, that's a hard pill to swallow. That, that can kind of like devalue it. See, there's kind of like a knee-jerk reaction to go, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I want to ascribe to that. I don't know because my life's got meaning. My life's got value, and you're right. It does. But here's what I want to show you. When he takes a pile of dust and breathes his life into it, it's not to devalue us as humankind. It's to show us, and as a, as a matter of fact, on the contrary, He's trying to show us how much value we do have. Because he's contrasting in itself, it might not be a lot. But when I'm in it, it's something special. It's something powerful. So the message of this text, the message of this whole Bible story of creation to me, as I really took a magnifying glass to it this week, the more and more I realized God thinks the absolute world of us. Some of you guys are like, okay, I know that. I get that. But when you really think about this idea that he created everything so intentionally, so intricately, there was a rhyme and a reason behind every single thing he does. It's why I love science so much. I keep mentioning it. But when when I was spending time at NDSU and I was studying chemistry and biology, Way more than I wanted to. I spent more time with my books than any other human being. But the more and more I got into the inner workings of how the human body works, how each individual creature out there, all the systems that make up their anatomy and their systems, it is so, so perfect. It's so perfect. If you have kids, you know this, you understand that what has to happen for a kid to come into existence and to come into the world 
the systems and the body, what it's able to do is nothing short of amazing. It's so perfect. And I believe it comes right back to here. The creation. The start. It all starts with that. So when you look at your identity, when you look at who we are, I think it's so important to have this understanding because here's what I think happens in our life. You probably notice this wonderful shade of pink camera I've got up here. I want to show you the purpose for that. And no, I'm not even going to say it's salmon or coral because it's not mine. It's my wife's. So it's full on pink. But here's what I want to show us this morning, everybody. Remember, I know a lot of you have lived a lot of life and you know exactly who you are. You know you are an executive at your company. You know you are a parent. You know you are a husband, a wife. You know you are a grandparent. You have a really good idea of who you are. When you look in a mirror like this, you have a pretty good idea of what your life looks like. But here's what I want to show you. I think a lot of times, this mirror, instead of just looking at who we are, it kind of takes a shape a little bit, right? Like, we live in a day and age of selfies. I'm going to take a selfie with this Polaroid camera. Does anybody remember Polaroids? Do I have any Polaroid fans in the room? And some of you guys are like, do you even know what a Polaroid is? Yes, I do, okay? Like I had, I had when I was like, like a little kid, I had the full one where it's like as big as my computer here virtually, and you had to like open up the thing. And if you looked at the flash, like you were blinded for about two days. Then you got the Polaroid shake, right? Gotta let it go, Okay. So here's what happens. We live in a day and age of a selfie thing, right? Like we love, whenever we're doing something awesome, we want to take a selfie. But here's what I think. Let's go a little bit metaphorical for a second. When you do something good and you do a good deed or a good act of kindness, you, you feel good inside, right? You kind of go, that was, that was good of me. So let me just get a, right? That part of it is still true. Holy buckets, I'm seeing rectangles. But no, it's what we do, right? Like we have these things where we, we, we do things in our life and they make up who we are. And these are really, really good things. So uh, if you, I was kind of walking around the church before, just kind of taking weird pictures. And my staff was like, what the heck are you doing? But here's what, here's what it is for me. When I look at my life and I look at who Derek Mum is, there are a few things that I always lead with, right? Like, who are you? What, what makes you up? Well, I'm a husband to an incredible wife and she is way outside of my league, but Praise the Lord. It's awesome. She is great. So when I, when I address myself, when I carry myself, being a husband is something I take a lot of pride in. It's something that really I feel it defines me. And it kind of makes me feel like, okay, this is who Derek is. And when you have a wife and you love each other a lot, uh, every once in a while you have kids. And those two little bundles of joy, holy bucks, they add value to my life. It's so fun to see their personalities come into fruition because I've known something about my wife. She's amazing. And she is driven and ambitious and occasionally independent. When my daughter walks into the room, some people run because she carries an authority around her where it doesn't matter what you say. She's doing what she wants to do. And so to see, to see that independence get trickled down to the, to the next generation, it's really fun. Like, because my wife is like, what do I do with her? And I was like thinking to myself, 
Figure it out, let me know. I love her. I joke. Wow, you guys should see this picture. This is not flattering in the slightest, but it's up there, okay? So back here, though, a husband, a dad. I take a lot of pride in those things. When I look in the mirror, what I try to aspire, what I try to be all the time is a really good husband and a really good dad. And it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm accomplishing something in my life. And then when you get to be things like a pastor, and, you, and maybe for you it's, it's an accountant, maybe for you it's a doctor, maybe whatever it is, you begin to take on this is who you are. I'm a doctor. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. You have all these things in your life. And the more good things you do, the more your identity begins to be shaped by good things in your life. Maybe you get a promotion and you start to kind of take over and you start to kind of do things that are really, really good. And and, and you kind of carry yourself differently. Like, I'm higher up in this company, so I got a little bit more swagger in my stuff. I got a little bit more puff out of my chest. I know what I'm doing. I got a handle on this. I know who I am. So when we look in the mirror, we don't just see ourselves, but we see the things that we are and the titles that make up our life, and they kind of help shape who we are. But the problem is, it's not all roses all the time, is it? It's not always perfect and glamorous. Because see, here's what happens. If I'm going to be really honest, I think sometimes we realize that uh, we're prone to mistakes. We're prone to doing something. When things are going really, really well and things are going awesome, every once in a while, a character trait can slip. So things are going really well that you find yourself kind of in a bad situation, making a choice you don't want to make. So all of a sudden now, things are going really well. You have all these great things in your life. But you also have a problem with a little thing called lust. When you're driving down the road or Walking in the mall, you see another person that's not your spouse. That you kind of wish things would happen with every once in a while. See, here's what's what's tricky about this part of the equation. We don't want to talk about these things, right? Let's talk about these things. Let's talk about being a dad and a husband and a good person. Let's not talk about this stuff. It's not that easy. Because unfortunately, sometimes... Um, as I talked about this last week too, as much as I believe there's a real God, I also believe there's a real enemy who loves to kind of go when you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. There's a real enemy who will say, okay, you go to church? You call yourself a Christian? What are you doing doing this? Why are you cussing this guy out on the side of the road? That's not what Christians do. Why are you cutting corners and, and lying in your own pocket? That's not right. That's not what a Christian does. And the enemy loves to make your identity, instead of something good, something bad. Because he's got proof that you got sin. He's got proof that you made some mistakes. And so he would love nothing more than go, let's put this front and center, right over where your face goes. While we're at it, let's throw the anger on there. Let's throw the failure on there. Let's throw a little bit of depression and anxiety on there. Ah, that's better. So now, when you go and look in the mirror, 
and you are trying to figure out who you are, when you roll out of bed in the morning, you're trying to figure out what it is that you're going to go into the day. You're not just seeing who you were created to be. You're not just seeing yourself through God's eyes. You're seeing yourself through the eyes of your sin, through the eyes of the things that your life has brought you in good or bad. And here's the problem with this. All of these things I mentioned, I want you to chase with your life. I'd be a hypocrite if I got up here and told you being a husband or a dad or successful, whatever it is, is a bad thing because it's not. It's a great thing. But the problem is, the more pictures you put on this mirror, the less of the true identity you see in yourself. I could fill this mirror up with good things and bad things. But the problem is, if I were to fill up every part of reflective glass, when I go and stand in front of this mirror, I would not see a true reflection. I would see the life externally. If this was covered from top to bottom with pictures, I wouldn't be getting a reflection. I'd be getting an image. And what I'm trying to say with all of this is, here's the thing. God created you way back. He breathed his life into humankind because he wants us to be in connection with him. But the more we try to build our image with our life and the things we want to do, the less we get away from the image and the likeness of God. It said we are created in his image and his likeness. That's not to mean that we look identical to God, but that what that means is God is a culmination of spirit, of power, of love, of joy. That's who he is. He wants us to have that same thing inside of him. But the more we get away from that image or these, the more problems we get into. The more we start doing things that we don't want. Paul had a really good grasp on this. Philippians chapter 3. If you don't know the story of Paul, Paul was a really devout Jew. From the time he was a little tyke, he spent time studying the scriptures, doing all these good things. He was a really, really devout Jewish person. And he shows it right here in Philippians chapter 3. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the best tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteous, based on the law, faultless. What's happening in this text is there are a lot of people who are going, I'm a good Christian, I'm a good guy, I love God. Because I'm doing all these things. I'm giving all the money. I'm doing all the stuff. I'm I'm a really, God loves me more because I'm doing more for him. That's the context that Paul's coming into. And he's coming into and he's saying, hey, if there's anyone who's going to come in this room and boast, it's going to be me. Because I'm from the best tribe. I'm from the best everything. I've got all of it. But check out what he says. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Garbage. Garbage. Does that mean that being a dad is garbage? No. 
Does that mean that being a husband is being garbage? No. What it means, it means God loves you so much, cares about you so much, that when you look in the mirror, he wants you to see who you really are, a son or daughter of Jesus, someone that he hand-selected, someone that he breathed his life into. Because here's what happens, everybody. I don't always get it right as a husband. Most of the time I do, but not always. That was a joke. I get it wrong a lot. Wrong a lot. But I screw up as a husband. This week I was really stressed. And my kids were on the receiving end of it. They got way less patience from their dad. Screwed it up. I make mistakes as pastors. Pastor. I say things that really upset people. And they let me know. And the problem was, I took that failure. And I took another image of that failure and slapped it on this mirror. So when I walked about my day, I wasn't walking around as a man that was loved and cherished by God. I was walking around, where is it, with this one. I was walking around with this slapped on my chest. Failure. 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 Do you know what happens when you start to feel like you're a failure? You fail. More. Way more. So what God has begun to teach me, everybody, is not that these things are not important. As a matter of fact, I believe God puts them in your life. But when I look back at Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, I realized something. That while all these things are a part of our life, they will not change the fact that when we look into a mirror, we are seeing how God created us to be. God looks at you and doesn't see your sin. God looks at you and is loving that you're a great person, is loving that you're advancing your company. He's loving that all these things are happening in your life that are really, really fantastic. He loves it, but it doesn't make him love you more because he already loves you the most he possibly can. Whether you do anything good for him or whether you are running as hard as you can away from him, you are lusting, you are, you are using, you're doing all these things, you're sleeping around, it doesn't change the love that he has because when God looks at you, he's looking at the mirror. And it doesn't matter how many pictures you have on there, it doesn't change how much he loves you. How do I know that? Romans chapter 8. Some of you need to take a picture of this. You need to go back and look at this because this is truth. This is law. This is something I need you to just hold near and dear. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Check this out. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, height, depth, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. No sin, no accomplishment will change how much he loves you. 
And as we go into a brand new year, that's what I need us to believe. What I need us to cling to. Because when you walk out these doors, everybody, you're going to make mistakes. We're dust. We're flesh. It's a part of who we are. But the reason our life has significance is because God has breathed himself into us. And on the days when you feel like you don't amount to anything, I want you to remember he did this with nobody else. At the end of the sixth day, God got all done. It's in the Bible. Go and read it. Get all done. And he goes, it is very good. Not good. Very good. You're very good. You're not very good because of all the great things you do in your life. You're very good because he told you you are. You're very good. Even when you're making mistakes left and right. Because that's how he sees you. He sees his creation. In their entirety. What I love about this church. Is the differences. There is a room in my office that's no doubt really smelly right now. And probably trashed. Of fifth through eighth graders who are learning about God. We've got some of you in here who are old enough to be my grandparents. We've got people in here who have been worshiping God, coming to church for longer than I've been alive. And we have people in here who don't even believe in Him. They're just here because they're with someone else. I love that. Because the message is the same. It doesn't matter how long you be coming to church. God loves you. Crazy amount. Same amount as the one who doesn't believe in him. And what I love about this church is you guys get that. You're loved. You're cared for. As an analytic mind, as a scientist at heart, I don't always get why God does what he does. I don't always get why things happen the way that they do. I'm grateful because when I was on the floor crying feeling like I just am a mess I can't get a hold on my life it was this message that God said you're mine you're mine I created you for a purpose dust off let's go because I got value and purpose and potential inside of you you don't even realize in yourself and if you'll just follow me if you'll trust me you'll see it and that's the word for our church this year, everybody. I want those in this church, those who have not yet stepped foot in this church, to see that they're loved. I want them to see who they are for who they truly are. Because when that happens, this community is going to turn it from the inside out. This world is going to turn from the inside out when we know who we really are. So you pray with me this morning. Jesus, identity is hard. It's one of those things that can feel like it fluctuates back and forth depending how we 
are doing in life. But God, today, I pray for the hope and the truth that you have. The truth that, yeah, we might be dust, but it's proof that there's life in the ashes. There is hope when everything's falling apart because you bring life to the lifeless. God, our life doesn't mean a whole lot if you're not in it. Not that the good we do is absolved, but there's just so much proportionately more when we trust you and believe in you, Jesus. So God, today, I want to pray for the person or people who maybe struggle with this whole concept of faith. It doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. God, I also think that there's a part of it where it feels like we're not good enough to believe in you. I pray that today, God, that you would show it's not about being good enough. It's about being willing to say yes to you. So Jesus, for those people, I just pray that they would know that they're loved, that they're valued, and all that you want from them is just to be in relationship with them. You create us in your likeness and image for that purpose. So if that's you in this room, I'm not even going to make you raise your hand. I'm not going to call you forward. But if you're just going, you know what? I have I've been running. I've had it just not right with Jesus, and I want to make it right. Between you and Jesus, just between you and the Lord. It can be here, it can be at home later, it doesn't matter. It can be audible or inward. But the way we come into relationship with God is saying internally, God, I know I make mistakes, but I want you a part of my life. And in that moment, you're there. Lord, for everyone else in this room, I just pray that we would find who we truly are. We would stop living underneath the shadow of our success or our failure. We would understand that first and foremost, we are yours and yours alone. And I pray, God, that we would take that identity and carry it into the mission you've called us to. Jesus, you give us life. You give us hope. You give us everything that we want and need. So God, today, as we walk out this door, we feel that hope and that truth rising up. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.